DB. I'm Danielle, joined by Brenton. Hi there. You caught me by surprise. Yeah, hey. Thanks for joining us for our honorable mention this month, as we take the opportunity to talk about a great film that just missed out on being on the IMDb's list of the best movies of all time. This month rated at 7.8 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Apocalypto. Released in 2006, starring Rudy Youngblood as the lead, Apocalypto is a mine adventure action film set in the year 1500 in the Yucatan of Mexico. It's based on an original screenplay. Um, The film is co-written, co-produced, and directed by Mel Gibson. So I didn't realize that. For some reason, I always kind of like his movies, even though I know he's not the most popular dude anymore. So you didn't realize it was Mel Gibson until... At the end, when it said, directed by Mel Gibson. I think you told me at the beginning or some way through the middle. I think you had told me before, but I Because the, the um Icon logo popped up at the beginning, Icon Productions. And you said, oh, you, you don't really see that much anymore. And I'm like, yeah, because it's Mel Gibson's production company. That'd be why. Yeah. I mean, he did the most of his stuff in like the 80s and 90s, yeah? Not his directoring, producing stuff. Yeah. That was more uh, second half of the 90s, first half of the 2000s was when he was doing okay. that. Because I remember it a lot. Because I always remember the different production logos at the beginning yeah. for some reason. Um, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I didn't realize that was his. Interesting. Just a note. So we were watching through the end credits. And I'm really curious to know if many of the actors were... Mexican indigenous or North American indigenous, so meaning American Indian? Well, we were watching the special features on this because we, we were curious when we watched an extra 20 minutes of behind the mm. scenes, uh, and they were saying that most of the extras were Mexican because it was shot in Mexico, and that's just a logistics thing. They just yeah, that makes lot. sense. Yeah. But I think most of the main actors were uh, Native Americans, like they're okay. U.S. citizens, because I know that uh, Rudy Youngblood, he's he's Texan, he was born in Texas, mm. um, and he's Native American, they're Native Americans, but they're not Mayan descent, I guess, like Native Mexicans. Yeah, and the man who played Flint Sky, so Rudy's character's father, was also, I'm pretty sure, North American Native, yeah. American Indian. Yeah. Yeah. Because he had a really interesting last name. I think it's still, I think that's still a, a clever choice. Yeah, I would imagine they just picked a bunch of um, Native Americans. I mean, it's all sort of similar area geographically. I understand that it's not the same tribe specifically, but... Yeah, you're going to have more similarity between Indigenous North Americans and Indigenous South Americans than you would between, say... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were talking on the episode covering the movie Seven with Mike Pecci, and we were talking about whether or not you separate the art from the artist... Because we were talking about Kevin Spacey. And mm. I think it's an important thing to at least mention is the controversy around Mel Gibson. Now, I'm not really sure exactly what happened there. He, I'm sure there was a number of incidents. I know that he was caught uh, drink driving, and I think there was some violence there around his drinking. I was going to say, I think he got charged on assault against his wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he got caught up in the whole sexual assault Me Too movement. I think he was shunned a long time before that. 
I think so. And I think it was more drinking and violence. I'm glad you brought this up because I kind of touched on it in the beginning. I have always been a fan of his movies. And I yes. have always been a fan of him as an actor. And I think that's because I saw a lot of his stuff when I was a lot younger and didn't realize that life was complicated the way it is. I've always liked his stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I ultimately, I don't care what he did. That doesn't stop me from enjoying this movie that he made. And I'm I'm one to say you might be a piece of shit as a person and not be able to get a job from this point forward, but that doesn't stop Braveheart from the 90s being a good movie. You know what I mean? You shouldn't yeah. be able to take his best picture or Oscar off him because he was a piece of shit now sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely one to separate that. I can say that I love his movies regardless of what he's done and who he is as a person. Well, it's like saying, I'm going to boycott every Harvey Weinstein film. Well, you're going to have like slim fucking pictures. Yeah, there's no movies left. He had his finger you know in what everything. I mean? that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think Harvey Weinstein was very good at what he did as, as a producer, as, as a role there. He, he was very good at what he did. But despite the fact of he, him being a complete piece of shit as a person... He's an absolute piece of shit as a person. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch another Tarantino movie or... You know what I mean? Well, like, he was such a big part of Hollywood for a very long time. And ultimately, as a producer, he had his finger in all the pies, but he didn't have it in there in the same way that, say, a director would. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? He didn't have creative input in the same way that a director would and things like that. So there's the difference between, say, him and Mel Gibson there. That said... I, I still like Mel Gibson films. Yeah. The um, <laughs> so. the example that I gave in the episode on Seven was uh, Casey Affleck, because there was a lot of controversy around him getting his Oscar around that time um, in 2016, 2017. Um, mm. And I don't remember what he did. Again, I don't care. I don't think that that stops his performance being a great one. It might affect from that point forward. That's fine. Um, getting a job, but don't, don't change the performances well. you've already done. And I feel like Mel Gibson had his consequences. He didn't make another film for 10 years until yeah. he made Hacksaw Ridge in 2016, which Kind of paid was, his dues. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's, trying to make a, he's been trying to make a comeback ever since, pretty much. Mm. Um, I think he's making Passion of the Christ 2 was his next one, which I don't know how that goes. Apparently, the first one's pretty good, which he made yeah. before Apocalypto. He's quite gruesome. And violent, he doesn't. He doesn't That's kind stray of away from those sort of things. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, he did Braveheart in the nineties. He got Best Picture, Best Director. He did Passion of the Christ, and then he did Apocalypto, mm. and then no one heard from him again, basically. And I think this is such an underrated film. Yeah, no one has really heard of this, and I'm very well, surprised because I love it. Did it win any awards? No, it was nominated for three Oscars. That's a shame. And it didn't even win like makeup. Which I find baffling. Yes. Um, Pan's Labyrinth got it that year. I was going to say, uh, there was an episode from South Park. It was a number of years ago now. It was probably at least 10 years ago. Mm. And I'm trying to think what it was. Like, the characters, I think Butters gets stuck in, like, a dream or something. Maybe they were taking the piss out of Inception. I don't mm. remember. But essentially, they needed someone who understands storytelling and, you know, the best way to tell a story and show that off. So they, they bring in um, they bring in Michael Bay, the director. And mm. Michael Bay sits down behind the table and he's like, oh, you know, we'll have this special effects here. And we'll use CGI to show this. And then we'll have an explosion. And uh, the guys are like, 
that's that's not storytelling. That's just special effects. And Michael Bay's mm-hmm. like, I, I I don't know the difference. And I was just taking the piss out of Michael Bay. And then they bring in M. Night Shyamalan, uh, mm-hmm. the horror movie director. He's like, we'll go this, and they'll go down this hallway, and they'll look in this door, and then twist, you know? It was, he was dead all along sort of thing. Uh, and then the guys are like, that, that's not storytelling either. That's just that's just a twist. And M. Night's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in Mel Gibson, and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll go down here, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. Um, and essentially, he, he nails it, right? And the guys mm-hmm. are like... Hey, say what you want about Mel Gibson. The guy knows how to tell a story. And I thought mm. that that was a really funny bit. And that's why I've gone on this tangent. Uh, yeah. Because it's a really funny bit in South Park because you're taking the piss out of M. Night because he keeps doing the same shit over and over again. You're taking yeah. the piss out of Michael Bay because he just doesn't know story and he just knows explosions. And then you, you say, Mel Gibson, even if you don't like him as a person, you've got to admit he's a fucking good filmmaker. And I have held on to that because I thought it was a really funny bit, and it, I think it's absolutely right. I think yeah. no matter what you say about these people, like, I think Mel Gibson is a fucking good filmmaker. He knows yeah. what he's doing when it comes to making films. Well, even in the way that this was filmed, it was filmed with the intention of being immersive. So yeah, definitely. So I can definitely say, like, it didn't feel like you were watching a movie. They even said, like, they wanted you to feel like you just traveled back in time and had a video camera. Yeah. And you were following along. And that's what it really felt like. And that takes skill. Because that takes, you know, an understanding of how to position your camera so that you're catching something from a character perspective instead of an expositional perspective. Are you going to do things bumpy and fast so that you feel like you're running along with them? Or are you going to just do a wide shot so you can see everything? There's a little, lot of little techniques here to make you feel yeah. like you're, you're watching the scene rather than watching a movie. Yeah, and I really appreciated that. I don't think it would have been at all the same movie if you had done it expositionally. Yes, absolutely. You know we'll get I mean? into that in a sec. There's a defined three acts to this movie, and I feel like those three acts feel very different to each other. I think there's the first one where you're introducing to the characters, you're, you're in the village, you're seeing the family, and then there's the, the, the attack, the raid, which isn't a spoiler because it happens in the first half an hour or so. Mm. Uh, and then there's the second act where they're on the journey to the city and, and their interactions with the city and the city people mm. there. And then the last act starts when he's, he's running through the corn and the rest of it's in the mm. jungle. So mm. you've got village, city, jungle, and I think that, that's a very good distinct feel for each one of those acts. And I think it's, they're all brilliant in their own way. Which is really interesting too, because everything is set not too, too far away from everything else. So yeah. like geographically speaking, you're not having much to work with. So to create a distinct feel for each of those parts of the story, like, well done. Yeah. You know, because everything's kind of intertwined and there's links and similarities between all three. Yeah. I think this is an outstanding example of visual storytelling because we were talking about making the scenes feel immersive as if you're Mm. watching the the actual Mayans, like you've gone back in time. The whole, like, second act when they're in the city, it's barely any talking. Because this is this is all in mind language. We have, there's subtitles. Yep. There was like barely any times where the words would pop up. It was all just like look around this city and you will know exactly what is happening just from the hair and the makeup and what they're doing and these 
these like hierarchies between these people and you can tell who is important and who is not, what is happening. And he did a good job with that for distinguishing between different classes. And to do that without words is impressive to me because he did it through the use of costuming and through behaviors. That was something in particular. You see a regal air and kind of an arrogant air to these more higher class people. And so I just think this is nuts to me to get extras. Like, I don't know if they were handpicked and spoke more English or if he had a lot of people who kind of had experience and then had Spanish. He would have had Spanish-speaking people on his team. But just to get, coordinate that many people Mm. who are extras to act that well, like, it's impressive. Because they were saying it's over 700 extras. Which is nuts. Um, And they all had to do costuming every day. Yeah. And it was, like, prosthetics and fake tattoos and, like, teeth inlay. And, like, it wasn't it wasn't just some face paint. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It was Yeah, it a was lot. intense. I really thought things that they should have got the best makeup, Oscar. Um, yeah, I just really absolutely. liked that, that whole set where they're in the city and they're going through the city from the beginning to the end. You don't need any dialogue. You know exactly what's happening. It's very easy to follow. And mm-hmm. I, th- I just think that that is, that's a brilliant part where it just keeps you on the edge of the seat just from watching it. You could have the sound off. You probably shouldn't, but, you know, you would know exactly what's happening just by watching it. Um, I was just going to ask, following on from the makeup and the costuming and stuff, did every single person have tattoos and piercings? And Because even from, the, like, the little kids to the old people, all 700 of those people had to have tattoos and piercings they all yeah. had these things like embedded in their faces or or scars on them was that a yeah. was that a cultural thing where they all yes. always had that so they said more in the cities people would have more self adornment and body modification because they had the means to do it whereas the village people people who live in the jungle they don't have much they don't need it so they would have minimal there was still a lot of wooden stuff used in the earrings and the nose bits Yeah, but I mean, like, you're moving around a lot. You don't want a bunch of junk in your face or on your body because you're hunting all the time. You don't want it to hinder you. Whereas if you're in the city, you're you're mostly living off agricultural foods, so it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? And when you're in the city, you have a lot more access to, like, jade and things because they'll come to you. Exactly. Can you imagine having a bunch of jade just, like, hanging off your face? That must be just, just like, heavy. (laughs) How did they stick it in their teeth? Like, I was just thinking about that. I don't I'm know. Like, like, they would have drilled little holes, but how do you get it to stick in there? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't out. know how you effectively drill a hole in a tooth. You can make a file or something with some sort of Ugh. obsidian yeah. something. <laughs> drill bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's a real shame, I think, that... They didn't get anything for that. Like, do you not realize all the work? Like, this is effectively as much work as Lord of the Rings was. Yeah, well, I would compare it to Braveheart, which um, had a lot of the same people working on that to this, because that's such a big task. And I imagine Passion of the Christ is as well. I believe Passion of the Christ is a foreign languages movie as well, like where they tried to get the actual language as accurate as possible. Again, I haven't seen it, so I could be wrong there. Um, But it's the same amount of professionals that uh, Mel Gibson was working with for a number of years there. I really just want to say too, like, I am very, very appreciative of when directors do their homework with stuff like this. 
Yeah, maybe like this, you need specialists, consultants. Well, but you need it to be accurate. Like he had, you know, archaeological consultants about costuming and weapons and, you know, body modification. And they would have had stuff for like hairstyles and buildings, like for everything. Because you know a little bit about this culture. You've been to Belize and all through Central America. So you watching this, you had a lot to say because you're like, oh, I like that and I like this and that's quite accurate and this is cool. Uh, I like how they showed that. I've been to one Mayan city that would have been similar, like at its time to the city in this movie. And I've also been to... One Aztec city, which was the Aztec city in Mexico, which yeah. would have been, like, bigger than what this city was. You used to go to school in Belize as well, so it's all... Yeah. So I learned a certain amount about Mayan culture, and I, like, I remember in one class we had a map where we had to fill in where all the ruins were in the country, because it's a very small country. Um, yes. So that was interesting. Geographically... Yep. The Mayans and the Aztecs both lived in modern Mexico? The Mayans lived in southern Mexico, so the Yucatan maybe a little bit further north than that. The Aztecs lived in central Mexico. And there's also different groups too, because as far as I understand, I think the Toltecs were a branch off of the Aztec people. They were more related to the Aztec people. Is it naive or ignorant of me to say that it's it's all pretty much the same, similar sort of cultures? Like, you might have difference between the, the people. Like, is there a much of a difference between the Aztecs and the Mayans? Yes. Yeah. It's similar, but, like, it's similar, but they're not the same. You know what no, I mean? No, I, I get that, yes. Yeah, like, it's like comparing, to use some other groups as examples, um, it's like comparing Plains Native people to Maritime Native people, or desert indigenous people to coastal indigenous people in Australia. Similar, okay. but different. You know yes, what I mean? okay. No, all I was establishing was, are they similar? Because I would say, mm-hmm. and like another South American one that I would always get confused with when I was a kid was the Aztecs and the Incas, and they're very different. Yes. They're not Incas even being the same thing. Northern South America. Yes. Um, the Mayans were centralized in Central America. Yeah. Um, the Aztecs in Southern North America, meaning Central Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, similar culture, similar styles of adornment, similar religious beliefs. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't even think I asked you at the beginning of this. Did you like this movie? I think you did. I really like this movie. And I think a big part of it was because I had direct experience to relate it to yeah because i was like that looks like guatemala you know what i mean and that looks like this and like i would say pause because i have something to say about that because i've been to this museum and little yeah you, know you what wouldn't I mean? you wouldn't shut yeah. up um and yeah. that <laughs> means a good thing when you watch a movie and you won't shut up because the more you won't shut up the more you enjoy it if you yeah. just sat there and you were just bored or on your phone then clearly you don't like it uh yeah. so that's just one thing i've read from watching watching movies with you um is that well, it, the more you talk, the more you like it. It's because I find it engaging. I'm actively engaging with what I'm seeing on the screen, and it's driving my thought processes. If I'm not yeah. engaged, it's not going to drive any thoughts. Um, I really did like it. Had you heard of this movie before? No, not before you told me about it. Yeah, that's that's a shame, because I feel like you've at least heard of Braveheart. You've heard of Passion of the Christ. Have you even heard of Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah, I've heard of Hacksaw Ridge. 
Because um, I've seen this a bunch of times, six or seven times over the years. I remember seeing it when it first came out in 2006. Mm. Uh, and I feel like I have not heard a single person talk about it since. Maybe it's because of all that Mel Gibson stuff. I don't know. I really think that's a crying shame because this is, in my opinion, quite a masterpiece. And I think it's especially important to hold things that accurately represent um, indigenous cultures in high regard. So things like The Revenant. Especially the ones that are gone, that you can't talk to anymore. I was surprised that the Mayan language is still around. Like, there's people still speaking that. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing is that this is hella impressive that they were able to do this yeah with the language yeah yeah there are people who still speak the ancient languages it's not as common and i think you'll find them more in rural communities but i knew women who still lived and spoke like mine religion and culture so yeah yeah i think this is one of the best depictions of like native american or mayan culture before i've never seen a movie that has covered it or covered it this detailed, like any sort of native culture. I'm not just yeah. talking about the Mayans. I'm talking about just just native peoples, you know? I think you you haven't seen um, Dances with Wolves yet. No, I haven't. We're doing yeah, that so, as another honorable mention yeah. in a few months. Spoilers. So look forward to that one. I've never seen it. The whole purpose of this was literally to transplant modern audiences, contemporary audiences into the past, and it did it so well. See, I've seen other movies try and do that, not with native cultures, but try and put them in another time zone or whatever. But then they put such named actors in there. It's like, well, clearly I don't feel immersed when I know that this is an actor that I I know of, a contemporary actor. That's an interesting statement. Yeah, because everybody who was chosen for this was perfect. You know what I mean? You could have put people in there with that have that Native American look or are great actors that could have played these parts, but then you wouldn't feel as immersed. Well, and I think, too, having someone who's not a really renowned actor actually kind of adds to it because I feel like they might be overacting. And this this doesn't need to be overacted. This just needs to be played out. And do you know what I... Can you pick up on the distinction I'm kind of making there? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before we get into actually talking about the movie itself, I just wanted to talk on that note about the main character, Jaguar Paw, played by Rudy Youngblood. I think most of his acting was purely facial expressions because I think that he was Mm. conveying exactly how the character was feeling and what his thought process is, particularly for that last third, just with his facial expressions. I just, I love that part. From the moment where he runs into the corn, right up, up until the end of the movie, I'm just like, yes, fuck yes. Like, I'm really rooting for this character. And you can mm. tell exactly what he's thinking, just mostly with his eyes, but with his whole facial expression, you know what he's thinking. And I, I just love that. What do you think about that? He was a good pick. And that's kind of what I was saying when I'm saying it wasn't acted, it was played out. Like, he was playing out exactly yeah. what that character would have been going through. You can tell he had a very good understanding and he was very well directed in what it was that he needed to do and convey and i imagine it'd be reasonably easy uh, to act those roles because it seems very physically demanding the stuff that you actually have to do as the actor running through the jungle over and over again and i understand that they they don't do these things in one take but 
uh, he would have had to have like the mud on him for that big scene say, at the end there, and you would have been out of breath. Yes, like, you exactly. You don't have to act that. Yeah, you've got to do that with all this makeup on you. It's probably like sticky. It's hot. You got to climb in the trees. You got to just run around barefoot. Mm. Um, so it might be easier to act that, but um, I really do love that last third. So Let, you mm. want to get into spoilers? Let's do it. Spoiler warning. The worst part about this whole movie that I feel seems out of place is the introduction to the ships at the end. What did you think about seeing oh, the ships at the end? I just remember thinking, he's had one hell of a week, man. Well, that's what I'm thinking is what he was trying to go for. It's like, you've yeah. been through hell for the last week. You haven't even known what hell is yet. And then you see the ships sort of thing. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. It just seems really out of place. I don't know if they were a backdrop or if they were CG'd or what they were, but compared to the practical effects of the whole rest of the movie, they they looked funny to me. Like, not only did they look really out of place compared to the whole context that we'd seen already. They're saying that they physically looked funny. They looked strange, so it was it was really jarring for me at the end there to see these boats with these conquistadors and the priests and sailors who all you know they're white people and they've got clothes and shoes and helmets See, i and feel like that's jarring because you've gone through the whole movie not seeing anything like that exactly and then all of a sudden it's there i don't think that yeah so i'm just wondering why would you think that he added that in there do you think it needed it yeah and because like he's accurately portraying what was happening for these people at that time. Like, we were arguing, what was the sickness? Because there's a sickness going around. They're living in the village, and there's a... I want to add, to these groups were always at war with each other. Always. Well, that's why there's such high tension right at the beginning when he, he comes in contact with those other peoples. Yeah, They were, like, like ready to fight. They were ready to fight. Yeah. yeah, so that was definitely conveyed just from the visual. Yeah, so there's a group of domineering people who are going around and capturing village people to bring them back to the city to be used as sacrifices because there's a sickness going around. They're having a plague that's killing a lot of people and they're having their crops infested so they're not being able to grow their food. And so sacrifice was a very big part of the Mayan religion, by the way, because... Which I never made the connection the last few times that I've watched this that they were doing the sacrifices to try and fix the the sickness and the crops. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, like, they were sacrificing to Kukulkan, who I'm pretty sure is the sun god. Kukulkan is the Mayan equivalent of the Aztec Quetzalcoatl, who is the feathered serpent god. Yeah, I did, uh, yes, that's what it was. It was a serpent god, but I don't know what that means. So you were wondering whether or not the sickness that they were talking about, the one that they were trying to get rid of, was a European-introduced sickness. Because you were saying that something on that scale usually doesn't happen unless it's an introduced kind of sickness. Mm -hmm. So you were suggesting that maybe the Europeans had previously been here or the sickness had transferred around the peoples, around the land. Um, You were suggesting that this wasn't the first interaction with white people. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's the first interaction that the main characters have had with white people, but I don't think it is the first interaction. With the Mayans? Yeah, maybe it is. Um, Because it's hard to say because, like, the city, 
There's no indication that the people of the city have had any interaction with people yet, except mm. the sickness. And the reason I'm thinking it's smallpox is because of the sores she had on her face. Um, okay. The little is that what girl. smallpox look like? It doesn't look like smallpox. It's some sort of blister-causing sickness, whatever she had. So right, okay. what does smallpox look like? It's like little blisters, like tons of them all over. And she just had a few mm. a few sores on her face that were scabby because probably they were very itchy. Um, what do you think was the point of that little girl and her prophecy? That seemed a little out of place now that I rewatched it. It did. Yeah, that was um, a little odd because I don't think that you needed to foretell the eclipse or the man that runs with the jaguar or maybe it was just because the guys at the end who were dying one by one they knew that there was an omen maybe yeah so that they had that in their mind while they were chasing down this guy yeah i think that added to the story um like i was thinking to myself it it made it more relatable um to give them something to be worried about because you're able to storytell better because as a director and as a storyteller, you're matching what they're scared of with physicality. So that's kind of cool. See, even the last two guys who don't kill Jaguar Paw, I think that they didn't do that. A, because the ships were there and they surprised them, but mostly because of the omen. They didn't want to keep going because these guys kept dropping one by one sort of thing. And once the leader was gone, they were like, we'll keep chasing him, but then... They didn't really want to because of that omen. So if you didn't have a little girl in there telling the prophecy, it probably would have changed the ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So maybe maybe it was important. I don't know. I'm just trying to think, like, how would she know all that? I'm thinking maybe... That's what I'm thinking. Like, maybe her mom or her grandfather or something was a medicine person who would tell these stories. On a related note, these people were known for their abilities in astronomy, so mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, how handy was it? Like, like the guy who's actually doing the sacrifices at the top of the temple, he knew exactly when the eclipse was going to come. Do you think he did? I think he did. Okay. Because I'm just thinking, like, you have people who are praying to a sun god and everything. Because he, and the thing that indicated that to me is because he said, if you're pleased, return your light to the world. And then it's like, you know, the sun. So he knew that it would come back in a few seconds. I think so. And so I'm okay because your lowly level peasants wouldn't know anything. Yeah, you're almost right? controlling the people because you know what's going to happen with the eclipse. That's what I'm thinking, and it's like so you're going to okay, give them okay. like you have this power because it's like okay, I know what's going to happen, so let's kill a bunch of sacrifices, get some of our enemies out of the way, and we'll make the people feel better. And then it's like I'm the almighty priest because I know when everything's going to happen. You know what yeah, I mean? Okay. Like. Yep. I'm just thinking that's a bit... Because he would be a priest, wouldn't he? Sus to me. Yeah. I think the main priest was the old guy in the background. Yeah, he's like speaking a in Pasta tongue. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he would be, wouldn't he, if he's talking to the serpent god? Ha ha ha. Yeah. I just wanted to note that, like, we spoke about how this culture or Native American culture in general hasn't really been depicted in such detail before but when they are ever depicted i feel like because it was kind of a brutal culture that Mm. gets shown more in these sort of things and you don't feel like these this human level with these people yeah i was gonna say no other movie has ever made me want to throw up so much 
as this movie. Yeah, Mel Gibson does that. <laughs> well, he does it very well, but there was so many instances of just like, Ugh, you know what the I mean? The first one just... was him eating the tapir balls. Yeah, that was gross. And then there was the corpses <laughs> in the pit at the end there, towards the end. There's a lot of like arrows getting shot through people and people getting like smacked in the head. And then there's like the bit where he's got the blood spurting out because he hit him hard enough that it's the temple artery. See, I think that's kind of necessary because what they're going through and the people themselves and the rituals that they do, like, they're doing, like, public sacrificing. This is a very brutal sort of culture. Yeah, let me rip out your heart and chop off your head. Essentially, like, yeah. there was the scene where the woman is wiping the blood onto the her baby's forehead because they were the blood of the sacrifices. Yeah. So this is a culture that didn't shy away from being gruesome or violent or using blood so therefore the movie shouldn't shy away from it and i like that i like it too so yes it makes you throw up a little bit but i think it's necessary i don't think that mel gibson focuses on it to an unnecessary degree i think it's on a degree that these people were putting up with anyway i was gonna say he's just depicting it accurately yeah exactly my point accurately and accurately it was gross (laughs) like you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah yeah this is one where If you've got a weak stomach, keep that in mind. Like, there is an abundance of instances where it's just like, oh my god. Yeah. It's well done. Like you said, it's not overdone, but it is gross. (laughs) It's definitely jarring. Yeah. It's it's exhilarating the whole, from start to finish, really. Mm. Um, I was just saying about the depiction of the culture. You don't often see, particularly this first act, when they're in the village, you see this importance on family and storytelling and and this singing and dancing, it's very human level, you know? Like, even she's trying to sleep and the dog's barking and she's like, go kill that dog or whatever, and it seems like a very thing that we can relate to. And you don't usually see that human level with these sort of people. It's usually just like, look at the weapons and look at the battles and, and things. Because you're looking at it from an archaeological perspective. So it's like, what do we have... That can tell us about what the culture was like. Okay, cool, but we don't know what the people were like. Yes, this is showing the people. Exactly. That's why things like films like this, I think, are so important. Because it's like when you see World War II facts and when you see things like they shall not grow old. You know what I mean? It puts you into the situation. Or like when you digitize and recolor photos, you immediately feel... And stronger connection. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I agree with you. Yeah. Like, even at the beginning when he's playing with the monkey, it's like they've got this pet monkey and they're playing with it, and then he's playing with his son and he hangs him up, and it just seems like more of a, a stronger connection because it's not... These people weren't always 100% like violent and trying to kill each other. It's like, yeah, that was a strong part of their thing. But they also just... They were people. They were people, you know? They just had this strong uh, sense of like place and being and family. And I just think that that's depicted really well in this. Mm. And I hadn't really seen that before. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I liked it too. I liked the use of symbolism. Like what I was saying about the knowledge of astronomy and being able to kind of manipulate people you can see where people derived certain mythology from so somebody said you know we're going to where the earth bleeds the city is near where the earth bleeds and you can see they know they are there because there's iron in the mud so the water runs red 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And you've so, got these um, natural bore water things coming out, this natural water pocket. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just leaking out of the water. That seems a little unnatural. So yeah. I see that. I just, I love seeing those instances of understanding why people chose to say things the way they chose it. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. Yeah. there's another instance, I think it's biblical when they say, when the sky opened up and the sea came down, it's talking about rain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I just, I love seeing depictions of those kind of cognitive connections. It's like, I don't know what mm. to call this, so I'm going to relate it back to my experience. You know what I mean? What was it that I was watching? It was sim- uh, similar where it was an eclipse and they said the wolf swallows the sun and then you got to shout at the wolf to try and make it let go of the sun. And if you shouted it long enough, it goes away. Mm. And they they think that that the sun's being eaten by a giant wolf. I'm trying to think what that is. Oh, it's the Vikings. The Vikings used to do that with the with the eclipse. They would shout at it um, because they thought it was a wolf. And I I can sort of see that as well because of the way the eclipse is coming over. It looks kind of like a mouth. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's it's a another connection there where it's like it's kind of understandable if you don't really know what's happening. Well, and especially for things that don't happen very often. So that wasn't a movie. That was that was real life. <laughs> I remember hmm. seeing that in a documentary. Hmm. I'm looking at my notes now, and I'm just I've got so many notes on the costuming again. Like I hate to overplay this point, but like it was just amazing to me the amount of detail that went into it and how accurate a lot of it was. It is very much like Lord of the Rings in that instance, isn't it? Because yeah. they put so much detail into every extra in that movie as well, those movies. I'm just remembering, do you remember when they marched them through the corridor before they went up to the temple? Yeah, and there's the paintings on the wall? Yeah, the frescoes. And I'm just thinking, first of all, what an amazing use of storytelling because, again, you know exactly what's going to happen just by looking at those pictures. Yep. And they know yep. too because it's like, shit, they painted us blue. They're going to mm-hmm. kill the blue I think, people. Yeah, that was, that was brilliant. Um. Second of all, something that was really cool for me, when I was in Teotihuacan, which is the Aztec capital of Mexico, it was like the city, right? It's That's actually where Mexico City is built. That's the one that was on the island, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There were still preserved frescoes, 2,000-year-old really? frescoes on a wall that were exposed that have been there since since they were painted. And I'm just thinking, like, again, different art because Aztec and Maya. But you're looking at this and you're like, holy fucking shit. You know what I mean? The colors are still vibrant. and I do love that art style, too. Yeah. Like, it's, it just looks cool, the pictograms. I'm just thinking about them, like, they nailed it in terms of what it would have looked like and the yep. kind of paints they would have done. Well, like you said, they've got a lot of reference. Yeah. A lot of these things they didn't have reference to because they didn't survive. But stuff like that, you could... Straight up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up because, I mean, frescoes, you can find them, but they're incredibly rare. Um, So I just thought it was great that they included a depiction like that. Because actually, the one that I saw, it was in a corridor like that. So I'm wondering, like, if that was typical to keep them inside. I'm not sure. Anyway. Maybe. Maybe they're they're just the ones that survived. Yeah. When they're... On the way to the city. Mm. And the guy on the end who's very injured, um, he's slowing them down. They nearly fall off the cliff. Mm -hmm. There's the guy who cuts him loose. And then he gets yelled at by his superior, being like, don't let any more go. Mm -hmm. Right? And then straight after that, 
you see him grab the bamboo and he lifts it up as well. He's helping out the prisoners. He feels like, like he feels bad, like that's his consequence as well. I thought that was a nice touch. Hmm. Where as soon as he gets told off, he's like moping back to the prisoners. And then he gets down and he helps them lift up mm-hmm. because he's just like... Which which seems very out of character for him because the entire time he's just a bastard and he doesn't want to help them at all. And then as soon as he gets told off, he's helping them. And I thought that was a really nice touch because it doesn't linger on it for very much. It's mm. just something... Did you pick up on that? I didn't. Yeah. I like the little touches in there like that. I always say, if I hate you, you're a great actor. I hate that yeah. guy. Like, we were looking yeah. at him, like, you showed me the cover of the movie. I'm like, him? Why is he on there? He's a bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I hate that guy. Anyways, yeah. Why do you think this movie is called Apocalypto? Because it's the end of their world. Is that because of the ships? Mm-hmm. So you're saying if the ships weren't in there, calling it Apocalypto doesn't make any sense? They're, well, it kind of would um, because, like... They were starting to have problems anyway. They were it's having like the end of an era. Yeah, so they were starting to have trouble with their crops. They were having plagues on the people, so they were already in trouble. Um, they were doing everything within their power to try and fix it, and then this comes and happens, and it would have wiped them out completely. Um, mm. So yeah, it is the end of their era. Well, I'm just wondering if it's the end of their era regardless of the Europeans coming over. I think it certainly didn't help. It didn't help, but yeah. I'm just wondering if that's a good name for the movie. I think so, because talking again historically, I don't know how colonization impacted these people because the civilizations at large all came to an end around the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they say what's really odd about it, archaeologists don't actually know what happened to these people, because all of the evidence, really? yeah, all of the evidence is saying the cities, it's like they packed up and left. Because they left certain things like they were going to be coming back. They packed up okay. and left, and then they never came back. And you don't think that has anything to do with the white people? It could do. I don't know. I just think that this culture's been here for thousands of years. If Europeans didn't go and fuck them up, do you think that they'd still be there? And you're, you're saying probably not. Probably in a more, like, evident capacity than they are now, but they were still on the decline. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I See, I don't know enough about the culture or the history or anything to be able to make Judgment an idea call. about that. I'm yeah. Just disclaimer, I'm not claiming to be any expert either. I just have yeah. an avid interest in some lived experience. So, yeah. Um, the thing that was so interesting to me was using the ants as sutures on the little boy's leg. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. And I'm thinking, too, like, not only would it hold it closed once you cut the little head off, but there might even be a certain amount of venom in their bite that would act as a coagulant so that it would stop the bleeding. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. I really do love that last third because it just shows how brilliant this character is and how well he knows the forest. And he's just like, you're on my turf, bitch. Yeah. I know everything here. You're going down. And I think that... Every time he takes someone down in that third act, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so well thought out. Like, and I just love that depiction where he's yeah. just, you can see the point where he's running around the forest so that, he, that it doesn't leave a trails pretty much so he can sneak up on them. Yeah. Um, and, and it leads them off and he's, he's getting the frog and I love it. I love it. It's a great depiction. These people have known 
what the forest can offer them for thousands of years. Um, yep. Essentially, every medicine that you could ever need exists in the rainforests of South and Central America. Things like this, again, are important because they highlight the importance of those forests and that we should be doing our best to keep them <laughs> healthy. Yeah, you know because I mean? the people were directly living off the land. Yeah. And it's I'm not even exaggerating. Like, there's plants that have, like, things that can help cure cancer. That's been... That's not an exaggeration. You're not exaggerating when you no, say that? No. There's been studies around different okay. Amazonian plants that have naturally occurring compounds that help, like, shrink tumors and stuff. So, yeah. Okay. You wrap it up? There's a lot of cool stuff in here. The storytelling's really good. I'm just thinking of the foreshadowing with the bone in the beginning. Like, it's literally the yeah. first scene and the last scene. And I just think, like, I love how he was able to use one prop and you know exactly what's going to happen. That bone, yeah. You know what it's I great mean? storytelling. Yeah. I think that that scene throughout the entire movie yeah, is those little things, those little motifs where it's just, it makes you feel a certain way or conveys a message in a very clever way. Yeah. I really like this. I thought... It was amazing in the way that it was able to accurately depict an ancient culture that doesn't exist anymore in the same way that it used to. I thought it was amazing in that they were able to do the whole thing in a language that's not spoken by very many people anymore. Yeah, that's that was always I thought was quite an accomplishment. Some people do still speak Mayan, but you would have had to do some work with linguists, I think, um, to... Make sure that what you were speaking didn't have any Spanish influence in it anymore. Um, Yeah, that's the thing that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. I really think this is a masterpiece on many levels, and I don't think I say that lightly. (laughs) I've seen this quite a lot of times, and I think it's sad that a lot of people haven't seen it or haven't heard of it, and it's not in the top 250 because of it. Yeah. Um, So if you haven't seen it, Go see it. I really think it's unfortunately because of the bad rap that Mel Gibson got. Like, I think you're right. If he got to continue doing what he was he was doing, he was on, he was on a roll there for a yeah. while there. This would probably be held in a higher regard. Yeah. Don't judge the art by the artist. I really like this movie. Good. Cool. Okay. Um, next month's honorable mention will be Titanic. James Cameron's Titanic. I'm very surprised that that's not in there. A lot of people don't like it or think it's overrated. Uh, but we're going to be doing that as an honorable mention. It's not in the top 250, and I think it's a great movie. Um, and we've also got a special guest on for that episode, so stay tuned until next month to figure out who that is. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on all the socials comment on SoundCloud, or support us on Patreon. We're probably most active on Instagram, but we do have Patreon if you want to go support us. If you would like to listen to this episode uncut and unedited with all the mistakes and natural banter, um, all the uncut episodes for every episode is over there. We also do bonus episodes once a month. You you can submit questions, we do Q&A, ask us anything about ourselves or movies, whatever. And you get to vote on honorable mentions and stuff. So it's all happening over at Patreon if you want to go support us. Otherwise, thanks for listening.